Well, happy Easter, everybody. Thank you, Maddie. We are, um, well, thank you, Heidi. We are in a study of the book of Acts, and it's interesting that um, it's kind of shared a little bit last week how God has uh, aligned things to fall uh, on the topic that we're on today, which is going to be the topic of prayer, our devotion to prayer. Uh, but just how that fits, how beautifully that fits into the, into the resurrection, the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, and, uh, and just how that just adds fuel and passion and power uh, to what's going on in the book of Acts and what God is doing in our church. And hopefully the application that we make today will also just encourage each one of you as it's encouraged me this week. Uh, I was telling someone this morning, uh, that a couple of people this morning, that it was, it's interesting that I never, I never remember anyway talking about prayer on Easter Sunday. Because on Easter Sunday, we always do Easter Sunday stuff, right? We talk about the crucifixion and resurrection. And though it might have, you know, I can't remember, there might have been a little bit of a, uh, an, uh, uh, alluding to prayer as a result of the resurrection, but I know that I've never studied it like I studied it this week because it fell the way that it did. But it's interesting this morning, just for confirmation for me, which I know you guys don't need that, I need it, but confirmation for me that, that we're on the where we need to be. Uh, two of the devotionals that I read on a regular basis I read this morning, uh, Oswald Chambers this morning in, in Upmost for His Highest did a talk on intercessory prayer as a result of the resurrection. Never heard that. I don't remember reading that even. Probably on Easter Sunday, I never did read it. Uh, A.W. Tozer in his devotional in, in Bible Gateway uh, starts today talking about the power of prayer on his Easter focus. Uh, so, man, I just want to encourage you to, in this way. I, I, I really believe God has a message for us today. Of course, you know, this, is, this study is not random for us. And uh, everybody with me this morning, you all right? Yeah, I know we've got a lot of people out, but the ones of you that are here, man, I hope you're, you are plugged in and ready to hear uh, this message. And I hope that those of you who were not here on Easter Sunday and are now listening to this on podcast, that you will listen intently because this, pat, this, this study in the book of Acts is for us, and it's for us right now. Uh, we're, we're, each week that I've, start, I've started by trying to remind us that God has us in the, in the book of Acts as the Gathering Place Church, and now today visitors also coming from other places visiting with us. We, by the way, we never have visitors come except for single daughters whose parents come to see them, single working daughters who come in to visit uh, because all of our families are young and they go to see grandparents. You know, the ones that are married and have kids, they're gone, right, except for the ones that work here. So we get butterfields on Sunday morning. Uh, but so, it's such a blessing to... to uh, to, to be able to share this message, and I hope that you guys are ready to take it uh, like I have this past week, that God, is, God has us in this study for a very timely and significant purpose. Timely, that meaning that for this season in the life of this body, there is a work that God has for the gathering place. For, our, uh, for those that are called to be a part of this body particularly, there is a specific call that God has for us. And so we need to dig in. Uh, to, to this study for that reason, but also it's significant. It's significant because God wants us to discover what it means to be a biblical community 
a biblical community that's like the community that's described in the book of Acts, that uh, it has, has a tremendous impact of blessing everywhere that they go as a result of the Holy Spirit's movement in that first moment at, at Pentecost. So God's desire for us in this study is to learn how to become a community that blesses. And the book of Acts reveals these truths by showing us what happened to a church when 3,000 people, well, when, when the disciples, first of all, were filled with the Holy Spirit, and out of that feeling of the Holy Spirit began to behave, uh, well, first of all, preach a message uh, that changed lives. 3,000 souls are saved, and then those 3,000 souls were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came into them and filled their lives, and what happened in this community after the Holy Spirit came into them is what we're talking about. And so this is for us. This community was surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And for us, that's what pure biblical community will look like. It's not when we submit ourselves to a denomination or to a, a pattern of doing church or to a, uh, a program or to whatever. But it's when we submit ourselves or surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit that we'll begin to see ourselves being transformed as a community into a community like this community in Acts. Not, all, not doing all the same things, but with the same basic foundation. And that's where we've been in Acts 2.42. Let me share that verse and we'll move on. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. We're stopping there for now. We'll finish that verse today. It's taking us four Sundays to go through that. But with all these things in mind, 3,000 converts were filled with the Holy Spirit. And each one had experienced their personal touch from the Holy Spirit. And that experience resulted in a whole community having a desire to continue experiencing the Holy Spirit's leadership in their lives. They were all committed to that. And the devotion to the Holy Spirit's leadership led them to be united in their devotion to some things. First of all, the Word of God. And so we in this church have discovered out of that study that we are to be constantly devoted to, committed, constantly committed to the preaching of the Word on Sunday morning. I am committed to preaching it as God gives it to me. You are committed to be here, to hear what God has for our church, to your own personal devotion of spending time in the Word of God. We are devoted to the Word of God. It's not something we do because the preacher said we're supposed to or because we grew up doing it or because we've been discipled. It's because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and draws us to spend time in the Word. We have opposition, obviously, against that, but we are devoted to that. We are devoted. We want to be a community that's devoted to life groups where we unpack the Word of God and how it's uh, impacted us during the week how the word that we got on Sunday has affected us, how we've lived it out during the week, how we've encountered God in those ways. And, and we are processing that out loud with a group of other believers. And our devotion also to, to, to defeat or fight the enemy, he's already defeated, uh, as he employs every tactic possible to, to get us out of the word of God. We are devoted to the word of God at the gathering place. Is that right or not? Say, oh yeah, if you believe it. Well, it is. We are. We're devoted to that. We're a church that's devoted to the Word of God. We have many expressions of that. We're not trying to change and add a whole bunch of other things. We're just going to do, uh, do these expressions as the Holy Spirit empowers us. Let's join the Holy Spirit and do it better. 
the historic church commitment to follow the Holy Spirit also led them to a devotion to fellowship or koinonia with one another. We studied that. It means the common interest that they had in the all-consuming Spirit of God that was filling them. It was, it was a common interest in that. And, and as a result also, that word means a mutual participation in following the Holy Spirit's prompting. So you find the church in Acts doing the same things. They're all drawn to do the same stuff, and we want to be that. They had this vertical and horizontal relationship, a devotion to the Holy Spirit and a devotion to each other. They, they were devoted to one another, constantly committed, not committed because they had something to offer, not committed because they had some special gift or talent or because they were particularly likable. They were committed to each other because the Holy Spirit was filling them and drawing them into community with one another. We want that here at the gathering place. They were also committed to each other. To, they were committed to departing from a life of willful sin because to, to, to walk in the light means we don't walk in darkness. To walk in darkness and to say that we walk in the light, John says that we're a liar and the truth is not in us. But if we walk in the light together as he is in the light, then the scripture says that we'll have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from all sins. We share that here at the gathering place. And so there are many expressions that we're going to see in the book of Acts of this kind of communion and participation together in community, in this kind of biblical community. And then we saw last week that the historic church's commitment to the movement of the Holy Spirit also meant that they had a, a devotion to the breaking of bread. And we're good at that at the gathering place. I love that. There's not much that has to happen to change for us to be devoted to that, right? The Holy Spirit has filled us in such a way. And so last week we talked about that. It, you know how it, it, eating together is a sign. It's not just eating together for sustenance. It's a sign of mutual affection for one another. It always has been and certainly is in Louisiana and in the South. We, we, we already feel loving concern for people uh, whenever we feed them. And they feel loved and they feel our concern for them when we, when we invite them to eat with us. And so... And that makes sense, right? Because if Jesus made such a big deal of expressing love to sinners and, and, and disciples and his 12 by eating with them, then the Holy Spirit would be doing the same thing. So, you know, it makes sense for us. The Holy Spirit and Jesus are the same. So if Jesus was committed to that, then the Holy Spirit also would draw us into community with him uh, by eating together. And it makes sense that the same Holy Spirit would do that for us, and, has, and we know that the Holy Spirit has given us expressions of that. Now, we eat meals together here rarely, but we do that here as, a, as an expression of love. But we also, but weekly, we eat together in homes, in our life groups, and we share meals together, and, and we need to do better at that, be better at it. Hopefully, we have a new appreciation for what the Lord has called us to do as we've gone through this study We also saw the context of sharing meals together in the historic church included what Jesus commanded the disciples to do. That This breaking of bread was also sharing the Lord's Supper to remember the grace that God had given them in the death of Christ. And so last week we talked about that and we have a plan to commit to this and to change a little bit of what we're doing within the context of life groups. We sort of fleshed it out this last week in the context of our groups. I will just say it, it might have felt a little unnatural for you, but let's just keep working at it. Let's continue to, to, 
to add to our meals and our eating together a time when we focus on the, the grace of God and how we've experienced God's grace, particularly during that last week. So if you have had an encounter with God where, like I did, for instance, last week, where I, I was reading, I've already told you guys I'm dealing with the issue of judgment, and I find it's deep in me. I'm, I'm shouting at God in my devotional writing. That means writing in bold print. You know, get it out! Exclamation point. You know, I feel like I have, it was this hidden sin that I had. I, I didn't notice it, and God has revealed it, that I'm judgmental towards people. I don't express it out loud, but I feel it in my, in my soul, and it's, and it's killing me. And, man, I'm so thankful that God showed it to me, and I want it out. But, man, I, I failed at that a number of times this past week. And so I, when I shared communion with the brothers and sisters this week in life groups, in my mind, uh, what I was doing is, God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you forgive me. Thank you for your shed blood that, that you don't see me as I, as I used to be, but you see Jesus in me. And, and so I can, you know, when I shared that bread and that cup with two, two of our life groups this week, then I shared it with that in mind. And, and so if you have those kinds of experiences during the week where God shows you your sin and he opens up uh, for you a new appreciation for his grace and his shed blood, then you bring bread to life group or a tortilla we had in one life group. It was great. You know, whatever you bring, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be unleavened bread. You don't have to go get it at the Baptist bookstore. Just whatever you got that would help you help us remember that's what we're doing, okay? We're not following the, the rules that they were following when Jesus ate the meal with his with his disciples. That was a Passover feast. It was, they were following the Old Testament regulations for it. You eat whatever you want to eat. But share the meals together. It's mutual love for one another. And share the Lord's Supper together in your groups as a reminder. And you don't have to do it every week. Matter of fact, don't do it every week if there's not a story to tell. But tell your story and share the meal together and, and get used to doing that. I think it's a great expression for us of this quantity of fellowship. By the way, as we go into verse 42 and look at the last, uh, the last word, our last uh, expression in verse 42 today, I want you to know this, that in the scripture, this breaking of the bread is an expression of koinonia. So when we talked about koinonia, we're also talking about breaking bread together. It's an expression of breaking bread, and I'll show you more of that in a little bit. So today we're going to look at this, at this final thing in verse 42, uh, what it says that the historic church was committed to, devoted to, that, uh, that the Holy Spirit joined, put in all their hearts this common uh, desire to do. And we have, uh, today we're going to look at this idea of prayer. They devoted themselves, the scripture says that they devoted themselves to prayer or to the prayers. So what does prayer look like when a community is surrendered to the movement of the Holy Spirit? First of all, I want to I make these points again. Number one, they devoted themselves. Okay, this is a communal prayer. We're not talking about private prayer. We're not talking about you praying by yourself. We're talking about communal prayers. They devoted themselves to prayer. This is something they did together. So it was also an expression of koinonia. The prayers and breaking of bread were both a part of koinonia. In, look at it in verse 42, how, it, how it's worded. It says, and they themselves, and they devoted themselves, okay, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And then it doesn't say and 
after the apostles' teaching. Now, that means the same thing in, the, in, in English as it does in the Greek. It is a further explanation of what's going on when we talk about koinonia. It didn't say, uh, and some of your versions may say this, I think it's, a, I know it is, a misrepresentation of the original language. If it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. No, it's they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, which is the breaking of bread and prayer. Two expressions. <coughs> Excuse me. So they devoted themselves to that. Uh, so this is, a, this is a communal experience. It is a koinonia expression. So when we're in our life groups, what better expression for us uh, than to have a meal together and then to pray together, to have expressions of prayer. Now, that prayer was different for them, and we want to look some more into that, but I want us to get that point down first. Also, by the way, it was a constant commitment to prayer. Remember what devoted means. It's a, it is a, it was a giving constant attention to prayer. So this church was giving constant attention to prayer. It didn't mean that they crawled around on their knees praying all day long. Uh, it didn't mean that they were constantly had their eyes closed and their heads bowed as they were trying to meander their way through the town and, and do their jobs and do work with you know, pray, praying in that way. It wasn't that. But they were giving constant attention. Every time that they were together, they, they were bringing things to God in prayer. Man, I... I I've visualized that this week and just thought how beautiful that would be. And we're, we're getting pretty good at that. I, I really, I mean, the Holy Spirit is putting us there. Don't take credit for it. But I, I see an evidence of this in our church. There, there is a, a, we're starting to see this constant devotion to prayer within the context of life groups and social media. And so I, I feel like it's going on. Uh, so we're going to come back to that when we talk at the end about our expressions of this. But, but, but we want to learn, what does it mean? Why were they constantly devoted to, to this type of prayer? What motivated them that can motivate us? Why were they praying with a greater passion? And how did it differ from the prayers that they were praying prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit? What does it look like? And I want to say this this morning. Easter is the difference. Easter is the difference. Easter, Easter changed everything for these first century disciples regarding prayer. Think about it. Prior to this time, people prayed three times a day at the temple. But they were depending on their behavior being right in order to be heard. They were counting on the sacrifices offered to open a door for them to God. And they were depending on the priest's proper representation before God in the Holy of Holies once a year for them to be heard by God. There was no certainty in the life of these first century believers, our Jews prior to the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, that they would be heard from God. And the things that they would pray for, they were never certain about the things they prayed for. They didn't know the will of God. They didn't have an encounter with God or personal experience with God. And so there was no certainty. But because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Everything changed for them. That's where the passion is coming from. Experience it with them and with me. First of all, they continued their practice of prayer. Just know that. We talked about that last week. I just want to bring that back up. They continued their practice of prayer. It was a good practice. They, practiced, they prayed three times a week in, in chapter 3 of Acts. We're going to come back to this later. But in chapter 3, verse 1, 
Peter and John were going to the temple. It says, uh, uh, Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. This is prior to the healing of the man at the gate beautiful. So they were going to the temple, as was their, their still their custom, but everything changed. Actually, the uh, uh, English Standard Version says that they committed themselves to the prayers. Same times, same people, uh, same requirement, if you will, from the religious uh, elite, but totally different experience. They had greater passion. They had absolute expectancy that their prayers were being heard for the first time. They knew their prayers were being heard. Everything changed for them in that moment. So they were still expressing themselves in some of the ways that they had expressed themselves in prayer before, but everything was different. That's what I hope will happen for us as we, as we come out of this study today. What I'm hoping will happen is that you will have some experiences that you'll write some things down, that you'll talk about some things this week in life group. That will refresh your prayers in such a way that we will pray with a new passion and fervency and expectancy, with, a, with a, a, an appreciation for, how, for what we have because of the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ. So one reason that they were praying with this special fervency is because of the, the death of Christ, his crucifixion. When Jesus was crucified, the Bible says that the temple veil was torn. Look at it in Matthew 27, 50 to 51. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, this is at his death, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Uh, what did that mean? Well, the priest would go once a year to offer up sacrifices for the people. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, which separated, uh, the Holy of Holies was separated by this veil or this curtain, this thick curtain. Uh, the people could not go in. Matter of fact, the priest had to go in only once a year, and he had to go in right. He had to follow all the rules, and they tied a rope around his leg in case he died in the Holy of Holies. No one could go in and get him out. They could drag him out. If he didn't do everything right, this was a, there was nothing but fear tied to the Holy of Holies. It's where the presence of God dwelt with man on the earth. God designed it that way, uh, that, that he dwelled there uh, sitting in the Holy of Holies. So no Jew had direct access to God. In fact, they had nothing but fear tied to the Holy of Holies, as you can imagine. And the presence of God. Jews didn't want to be in the presence of God. Even when God invited them to the mountain to be in his presence. When Moses had the Jewish people in the wilderness. They said, no, you go talk to God and then you talk to us. They didn't want to be with in front of God. They didn't want to hear from God themselves. They didn't want to be in his presence. So the, the veil was torn when Christ was crucified. That meant that everyone had direct access to God. Through the blood of Christ. The writer of Hebrews describes how the veil was a temporary representation of the actual body of Christ. Look at it with me in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 22. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. So a way was open for new believers to go directly 
into the presence of God. This heavy veil was torn from top to bottom, and it was a veil that represented the sin of man that kept man separated from God. And so Jesus comes, and, he, and God, the Scripture says in Isaiah, that God laid on him the iniquity of us all. That, that veil that, that separated us from God represented the body of Christ that veil that represented our sin that kept the common man from coming into the presence of God was torn from top to bottom. And when Christ died on the cross, that's when it happened as a representation of his body, literally because of the crucifixion, being torn in two. His body was broken so that we could have access to God, direct access to God. Our sins were laid on him. Jesus, uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 5 21 says that, that God made him to be sin for us. So we find ourselves with Jesus on the cross. When we, when we pray to receive Christ, when these 3,000 prayed and, and responded to the message of Peter, to believe, put their faith in Christ, and the Holy Spirit came to live in them, the blood of, the, of Christ washed their sins away. The, the, the temple, the, the, the sins that were on Jesus were part of that separation, that veil that was separating them from God, and it was torn. And so a way was open for these new believers to go directly into the presence of God. In Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 to 2, he talks about this. He says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, it, that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So, so the church in Acts, prior to the, the death of Christ and the tearing of this veil, they understood what the torn veil meant. They, they, could, they could come to God, and the writer of Hebrews, again, continues to speak of of this as our passage continues in verse 22, uh, the passage that we're reading in Hebrews 10. Look what it says in verse 22 and 23. Let us draw near, all right, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled from a clear, uh, con- uh, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. All that language of what the blood of Christ did for us. He says, now, let's draw near. Let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He has done what Isaiah said he would do. All of our sins have been washed away. Uh, Though we were were, uh, like sheep, all of us have gone astray. God laid on him the iniquity of us all. Though our sins were scarlet. He said, Isaiah said they would be white as snow. And so all that language of being washed is in this passage in Hebrews. So we can draw near with a true heart and with full assurance of faith. We can draw near not in the old way of prayer, but when we come to God in prayer, we can come with full assurance of faith. That a way has been opened for us to come directly to God. We have access to God. And the Jews in that day their passion was changed. Their passion for prayer was, was ignited by this truth so much more than, than ours is today. We need to have an appreciation for that. This new spirit-filled, 
community gave constant attention to praying together with this new passion because of the way that had been open for them to go directly to God. Their sins were on Jesus, and when his body was torn, the direct path to God was made available. So this new community prayed together with passion because of the crucifixion of Christ, which meant that their sins that had separated them from God were gone. But their passion was also fueled even more by the resurrection of Christ. Not only the crucifixion, but the resurrection. The veil was a reminder that they needed to also to go to a high priest to bridge the gap between them and God. But the writers of, writer of Hebrews continues to speak about that function being covered by the death of Christ as well. Look at it in Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Again, let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Man, they saw this, that Jesus... Their high priest, had, he bridged or tore the veil of separation between the common man and the actual presence of God, but, and, and he passed through the heavens, another veil. Can, you know, we can't get, can we get to God? Who's going to get to God for us? The high priest used to do that for us. God's presence was in the temple. Now God's presence is not in the temple anymore. How do we get in contact with God? And they had this assurance that Jesus broke through the veil of the heavens. That there's no separation between us and God because our high priest actually went through the veil of the heavens. We have a representative who sits at the right hand of the Father and who understands us better than we understand ourselves. He knows what we need more than we know what we need, which will come in handy here in a minute. He's our advocate to the Father. In Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34, it says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Man, isn't that good? Y'all with me? (laughs) That's good stuff. This new community had a passion that was fueled by the Holy Spirit to pray together when they realized that the resurrection and the ascension of Christ meant that our high priest was our advocate standing before God, sitting at his right hand, standing in our defense. They realized there was never, there was no distance between our high priest and God. The gap had been bridged and Jesus was representing us before the Father. And God is not only satisfied, but in verse 33 in our passage said that he, it says that God was the initiator, that it's actually God who justified. Who, can, who has anything that they can say against us? He says, it's God who has justified us. So he's satisfied completely with Jesus and his sacrifice. And our high priest is representing us well before God. We don't have to wonder if those things are being taken care of. If there was any separation by physical distance, it had been taken care of. Our advocate broke through the veil of the heavens and went to God for face-to-face conversation with him on our behalf. That's the kind of confidence that this, these new Jewish Christians were, believing, were, were understanding. 
So with that understanding of the veil being torn and our advocate being with the Father, these new disciples had a passion that was driving them to speak to God together. It's something they never had before. It's something they never experienced before. It was something they cherished. It's something they always experienced together when they were together. But there's another thing that increased their devotion to constant communal prayer. After spending all these years wondering, is my prayer, am I praying right? Am I praying the right things? You know, they, they needed help praying correctly. And the Holy Spirit surely made it clear that he would lead them to pray correctly. That the things they were praying for were actually the prayers that needed to be prayed. Actually, the Holy Spirit was praying on their behalf. And they understood that. Paul spoke about this in his, later in his letter to the Romans in, in chapter 8, verses uh, 26 to 28. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Listen, their doubts about whether or not they were praying correctly was certainly taken away by their new relationship with the Holy Spirit who assured them that their prayers were going to be offered up to God in the right way. Picture this. This is, this, is a, this is a view that we can have as we pray. Picture this. Y'all ready? The Spirit of Jesus is praying to the Son, Jesus, who is representing them before the Father, whose intent from the foundations of the world was to justify man. So we don't know how to pray as we ought. This is, this, put yourself in the face of these people, in, in the place of these people. They don't know how to pray. They're not sure. They're never sure whether everything's done correctly, whether we're getting to God or not getting to God, whether we're praying the right things or not praying the right things. Is the high priest in the right place? All those things were made sure because of the Holy Spirit. In the death and resurrection of Christ, in the coming of the Holy Spirit, here's what happens. God tears the veil. They come directly into God's presence. Their priest, Jesus, it goes and sits at the right hand of the Father, goes through the heavenlies. He's in God's presence face-to-face, totally accepted by Christ, and, every, and all of our sins are gone, and he represents us before God, saying they are perfect, they're perfect, they're perfect. God did it, though. It's God who justified us. And God said, laid our sins on Jesus. It also, the, 2 Corinthians 5.21 also said, he, he, he laid our sins uh, that... Uh, He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So our righteousness is sitting before God, taking care of us. And then the Holy Spirit is praying prayers because we don't know how to pray. So we say something and the Holy Spirit says, nah, that's not what what he meant to say. His heart really means this. And then he says the right things. And so you ever wonder why the things that you're praying for don't happen? It's because they don't need to happen. Because the Holy Spirit's praying for you according to the will of God and your best interest. I had somebody a couple of weeks ago ask me, you say, well, I'm, you know, I've been praying for this. Why doesn't God answer? 
He does. Every time that you pray, God answers your prayer every time. And it's not just wait. (laughs) Sometimes it's, let me fix that for you. Right? And God prays something, and what we expect to happen doesn't happen. What the Holy Spirit prays happens every time. There's never a time. Rest in this. You know what will get you passionate about prayer? Is rest in this. The Holy Spirit is praying for you to God in a language and words that you don't understand. He is getting through to the Father because Jesus is sitting right by him. The Spirit of Jesus talking to the person Jesus who's right next door to God the Father. That's the Trinity working on our behalf every time we pray. And then what you start learning is, oh, that's what you meant, Holy Spirit. Okay, so I had that wrong all that time. Rather than, why doesn't God answer my prayers? No, he did. Let's start connecting ourselves with the will of God by seeing what he's doing when we pray. If we're praying something and God's not doing it, he's doing the opposite, then let's adjust our prayers to that because that's God. When we pray for healing and we still have cancer, that's the Holy Spirit said, no, let them have cancer. We got work to do. Then let's just connect with God and say, okay, what do you want to do through this cancer? And then maybe when God's done with that, he may bring healing. But what we need to do is join God in what he's doing. The Holy Spirit's praying for us, and every time we pray, it's heard. And every time we pray, uh, the, the, will, the, the Holy Spirit is praying for us, the, praying the will according to, this scripture says, according to the will of God. So, and to seal it all up, there was nothing that they could do to separate themselves from that experience forever. Let's go back to our Romans passage and see the rest of the story. So after Paul reminded them that the Holy Spirit, or the people in Rome, that the Holy Spirit was praying for them, he told them that the security of this relationship, the security of their prayers being heard before God was not dependent on anything else ever again that their prayers would always be heard, that these prayers would, they had direct access to God and they had the Holy Spirit helping them and and this experience would never end. He says in verse 38 of that same passage, just a few verses down, he says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. These new believers had the direct access to the throne of God that no ruler could take away from them. I don't know if y'all saw Christ uh, or Paul, the apostle of Christ in, in the theater, but boy, really, this really shows up. You know, they were in so much persecution that it seemed like everybody could take away, they could take away their religion, but they couldn't take away their commitment to Christ. Paul was beheaded in Rome, probably, at the, at the, probably that was his last these last letters, the book of Acts that we're reading now and, and Timothy and some of the prison epistles that he wrote from Rome. Paul was crucified, but you know what? No one could get this out of his life. No one could take away the effect of the resurrection and death of Christ from him. Nobody could stop him from being able to communicate directly with the Father. No one could stop the Holy Spirit from communicating exactly what Paul's will was, which was the will of God. No one could take that away from him. Nobody can take this away from us. So, so I'm sure that this group, as many things had been taken, as had been taken away from them as a result of the fact that they were Jewish people and they were in bondage in all different kinds of countries, it was good for them to know 
They were fueled by that, that no power could take it away from them. So all of this fueled a passion for them, for ongoing prayer, together with a certainty that their prayers would be heard by God himself. Everybody with me? You get all that? Man, that's good stuff. So, so let's do this now. Let's close by answering this question. As a biblical community ourselves in central Louisiana, as a community of believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit, what would the Holy Spirit have us to do as an expression of our devotion, our devotion, corporately, communal devotion to prayer? First of all, apply the message of Easter to our prayers. The veil's been torn. Okay, there's, our sins are no longer separating us from God. If you sin the worst sin that you could possibly sin, and, and you, of course, with regret, and probably if the enemy's in your head and he's got you good, going good, shame and guilt is filling your spirit. In that very moment, you cannot, you are not separated from God. Get it in your head. Your worst sins, a week of sins, does not separate you in any way from God. The veil has been torn and our sins are forgiven. All of them are washed away, past, present, and future. Well, Glenn, you're giving us permission to sin. No, I'm not. You know what our heart wants? Never to sin. Our hearts have been changed. That's why, you know, when Isaiah t- talks about, or uh, Ezekiel talks about God taking out our heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh, putting his spirit in us, and we would obey his laws and decrees because according to our spirit, if we didn't have our bodies, we would always obey, and one day we will. We'll have complete victory, but our sins are not separating us from God anymore. Don't pray like God's reluctant to hear you. Pray like the veil's been torn. Your sins were laid on Christ on the cross. You've been forgiven. So when you pray, pray with confidence. The veil's been torn. God hears your prayer. Our high priest also is the same as Israel's high priest. Jesus has removed the veil of sin by shedding his blood for the sins that had and would and have kept us separated from God. And he's risen from the dead, and he sits at the right hand of the Father for us. Let's apply that. The Father's listening to our prayers because Jesus and the Holy Spirit are in concert, praying the will of God to the Father for us as we pray. The Holy Spirit is stealing from our hearts the prayers that we really mean. He's not stealing it from our flesh. He's stealing it from our hearts, and he's praying those prayers on our behalf and and translating those prayers into things that are consistent with the will of God. And now that we have this kind of connection, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. So pray with the resurrection, with the death and resurrection of Christ in mind. Pray as you pray together with those things in mind. And then let's pray together. Let's devote ourselves to praying together. Our prayers are absolutely heard, always and forever. So let's apply, apply the message of, of Easter to our prayers. But also, let's take the venues that we already have of communal, con- constant prayer that God's already given us as a church, and let's increase our commitment to that. Y'all with me? Okay, we have times of corporate prayer here weekly. Let's increase our commitment to that. Uh, more than that, life groups have time of communal, communal prayers weekly where we go around the room and we, we ask what's going on. Let's, let's take those things seriously. Let's don't share about 
you know, let, let's just take them seriously. Okay, we're, we're, a lot of us are still following the mold of, of how some of us grew up. Well, my grandma's dog had a really bad tick and it got infected on the right, you know. Let's, let's pray communal prayers together. Let's pray for the body. We are hurting right now. We've got stuff going on in our body. We all need to be walking with God. That, that's real stuff. I mean, that's not that, that we don't pray for those little intercessory needs. We do. But y'all get what I'm saying? Communal prayers. What's the body experiencing right now? What, what does God want to do in this body? And can we, can we pray together with passion, knowing that God hears that we would get on board with that in our life groups? Let's pray that way. Let's pray for one another. So when someone brings up a sin and we share communion as we thank God, excuse me, for the forgiveness of that sin and we remember his shed blood, then let's pray for that person. And let's also confess together our, our sins and let's pray for those. Scripture says pray for one another that you might be healed. Confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. So life groups has time of communal prayers weekly. And then during the week, we are constantly praying through our connections to life group feeds. I'm connected to everybody's life group feeds. Some of you think your, your life group may be the only one that's doing that. Every life group does that. When something comes up in life, and not just a job, although please bring those up. You need a job, bring it up. You know, not just uh, you know, sickness, but also spiritual struggles. That's your life group. Share those things. And, and we're good about that. Let's just, let's just increase our commitment to communal prayer through our life group feeds. Now, so what is today about as we close out our Easter message and we, we prepare to walk out of here with being different than we were when we came in? I think it, it means you evaluate where you are in connection to this body. If God's called you to be a part of this body, it's time. Let's get, let's get that done. Make it happen. Okay, if God's called you, then let's get that done. You need to be in a life group. If you're not a life group, get in a life group. Commit to that. But commitment doesn't mean you go when you want to. Commitment means we are in koinonia fellowship with one another, which means we are committed to each other, to loving each other, to, to doing community together, to breaking bread together, and, and to praying together, and to, to finding the will of God and discussing his word together. All of that's part of what this, this community was doing. I hope that's helping us to see. I know it's in your spirit already. That God wouldn't have given me this message and he wouldn't have drawn us to have these messages if it wasn't already something God was putting in us. So as a person who's drawn to or a member of this body, let's go. Let's get our commitment down to that. Not because we have to, not because the preacher said to, not because we're supposed to or ought to, but because the Spirit of God is working in us to draw us to these things. You feel it? I feel it. Let's do it. We know it. So let's just join the Holy Spirit and become a body of believers that's devoted to the constant practice of the Word of God, applying it, reading it, studying it, expressing it, dissecting it, to fellowship, koinonia, trying to get in connection with the Holy Spirit in such a way that each one of us individually are joined together and we're devoted to one another, and we're keeping our relationship with God right and our relationship with others right so we can walk together in that, which includes breaking of bread and includes this kind of prayer. And I hope our passion for prayer will be increased this week as we pray together for one another. Let's do that. Let's make it natural. Not weird, natural. Let's just learn to walk in this. Okay, let's pray.
Jesus, we exalt you today. We already have in, in song, and we exalt your name again today in prayer and as a result of your word because you died for us and tore the veil so that we could have direct access to the Father and confidence that our prayers will be heard and that your Holy Spirit could come and live in us and pray for us. And, and you're our high priest, and we, so we thank you for the resurrection that you arose from the dead and you ascended to the Father and you're sitting at his right hand. And even now as I pray this prayer, as we pray this prayer together, Father, we know you hear us. Make us a church that represents you well in this community. Cause our spirits to feel such a deep devotion, a constant kind of commitment to, ongoing commitment to your word, to fellowship, to breaking bread and prayer, that we become a, a community that blesses others. Father, do you work in each one of us individually so that we can collectively be all that you want us to be and experience you in all the ways that you want us to. Show us yourself, God, in our daily walk. I pray this week that our prayers would find, would have new fervor, that our communal prayers would be more often and more powerful and more meaningful to us because of Easter. In Jesus' name.